My name is Holly Kinnean and this is Dialing In With Habitus. Tristan Wong is a Director of Architecture at SJB in their Melbourne office. Having been there for nine years and appointed as Director after just five, he remembers his progression in the early days as pretty fast-paced. But he also describes SJB as a fairly flat office with a strong sense of family. This makes remote working a challenge for the studio, not only in the sense of team-based project work and remote access to files or software, but also in adapting to a temporary hiatus on team lunches, bring-your-dog-to-work days, and out-of-office social activities. Adjacent to his role at SJB and alongside Jeffrey Greenway, Tristan was also appointed Creative Director for the Australian Pavilion at the 2020 Venice Architecture Biennale that has since been postponed. Their project, in between, responds to the theme set by exploring the concept of neighbourhood in the Indo-Pacific region. While he acknowledges the uncertainties around how and when they can share their project with the world, he offers comfort in the fact that it's not a question of if, but when. Today on Dialing In With Habitus, we chat to Tristan about navigating different methods of working, collaborating and connecting with the industry and leading a team while doing so. Let's hear it. Welcome, Tristan, and thank you for your time today and for dialing in with Habitus. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'd love to start by hearing in your own words, I guess, a little bit about your journey with architecture so far and and how you got to where you are today as a director at SJB in Melbourne. Yeah, sure, sure. So for those listening, my name's Tristan Wong. I'm, I'm, as you say, a a director at SJB, specifically in, in architecture. Um, yeah, I, look, I, I worked for a number of different practices from about sort of early 2000 while I was still studying. And yeah, one of the first places I worked at was Greg Burgess, which was amazing. He has this really incredible way of understanding his clients and, and what the project's about and its connection to the land. Uh, he does a lot of work with Indigenous communities, uh, a lot of cultural projects. So that was incredible working with him and seeing how he works with models does a lot of sketching and drawing, um, and we'll probably come to some of this in this conversation, but obviously a very hands-on approach, very collaborative, uh, very sort of personal and human the way he worked. So that was incredible. I then um, actually spent some time overseas, about a year or so, then came back and finished my studies. And after my studies, I then worked for a short while at Hassel, which was incredible, really great studio. Again, very collaborative, multidisciplinary practice, much like SJB. And then worked at a couple of other places. I actually quit architecture for probably two years, I think, and just wanted to do illustration. So uh, I'd always done a lot of drawing and illustrating my whole life. Both my parents are artists. So, yeah, I, I, I didn't know what I was going to do with it all, but I, I kind of just started doing a lot of drawing. I had a couple of exhibitions here and, and, and overseas, one in Colombia, actually, as part of a big street art exhibition. And that's what I thought I'd do for the rest of my life. But uh, when I got back from having, again, travelled for another year or year and a half through South America, I just came back with no money, so I needed to um, earn, some, earn some pennies. So sure. I was like, well, <laughs> this, this drawing hasn't got me a lot of money to date. Not to say that it wouldn't have, but I, I then thought, look, maybe I should go back to architecture. Um, and it wasn't something that I honestly intended to do. I really thought that I'd kind of had a good journey with architecture but wasn't sure I'd, I'd kind of go back to it. But I came back to Melbourne and, and started uh, looking for work and, and ended up at SJB. And it was an incredible, um, I don't know, re-engagement with the profession. I'd probably... Although I'd had some great experiences at a number of really good practices, you know, Greg Burgess, Hassel, designing, Base Smart, 
I, I was always wanted to do a lot more drawing and, and a lot more of that creative aspect and, and maybe hadn't at, at that time anyway. And then, you know, I started SJB and suddenly was, I guess, thrust into a position where I was doing a lot more of that. So I felt like, you know, those two years I'd spent drawing, I was suddenly doing just as much of it in an architecture practice. And I had a really good connection and working relationship with a couple of the directors. Um, and after a couple of years, I became an associate and then a couple of years later, and a director. It was a very quick well, reasonably quick transition to this role. It felt really natural. It was really enjoyable process. And, and as, although the hours, as any architect will tell you, are demanding and pretty full on, it was actually a great time. It still remains a great time. Obviously, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm here. Yeah, sure. Um, and, and leading the, you know, the studio. It's, but it's been um, really, really special. And, and there's just a great team. I think one thing that SJB's always promoted is a really strong sense of family. Um, and that, again, that'll probably come up in this conversation. I think, you know, the people you meet in this studio care about, you know, each other both as colleagues and human beings. And, you know, so there's a really strong respect that's promoted throughout the studio, mm-hmm. um, which is great. So so it's been a, a really interesting journey going from um, thinking I wouldn't do architecture again to now being here and leading a studio, um, obviously, with a couple of other partners doing a great range of projects. How long have you been at SJB now? So now I've been at SJB, I think this is my ninth year. Wow. And I'm curious to know when you had your two years off drawing, what were you drawing? What was the kind of, I guess, what did your art look like? Good question. Look, it was very, it was actually, it was quite um, abstract, very large drawings on sort of A0 textured paper using fine like architectural pens Mm. Um, so it was quite technical almost in a way but with quite abstract imagery a lot of it had abstractions of buildings and and built forms so there was an obvious connection to what I'd studied for the seven years before that yeah and a lot of it was connected to my experiences in Central and South America I'd spent about three years there and it was fascinated by I don't know the context the, the environment they live in the religion really strong Catholicism so there's a lot of religious iconography and, and sort of symbolism in the drawings. So it's it's to then go back into architecture, which was obviously much more focused around the client brief and a particular site and a really specific environment was a change from obviously having absolute creative freedom to just kind of draw and, and create whatever you wanted. But um, it came with a set of rules which set up a framework which was still really interesting. And, and again, I, I really love architecture and the kind of that sculptural aspect of it, that you're designing something that has to be both functional but hopefully beautiful and engaging with its people and its environment. Hmm. And alongside Jeffrey Greenway, you were also appointed the creative director for the Australian Pavilion at the 2020 Venice Architecture Biennale, which congratulations, I might add. What were your plans leading up to May 2020 and how have they changed? Yeah, look, um, that was all mayhem. So we were appointed, uh, I think, October, November last year. And and that had already been um, a much shorter time frame to get organised and ready for the, it was the 17th mm-hmm. Venice Architecture Biennale this year. So between October, November, and then, you know, mobilising a full international exhibition by May was probably, was shorter than previous years. Um, We were announced later, just for a number of reasons. Creative teams in the past had probably been nominated or um, 
advised early in the year. So they probably had five or six months more than we did. So we knew that we we're really under um, under the pump as far as time. Um, but, you know, we got cracking and it was full steam ahead in a very short time. We had to, you know, really refine what the idea was for the Biennale. Our particular theme was around really um, highlighting and bringing to the fore uh, Indigenous architecture and, and projects that have dealt with an Indigenous community or group. So I was about sort of, you know, those projects where First Nations people have had great authorship, voice, agency, and led to amazing outcomes um, in whatever those projects might have been. So so we really were looking at highlighting projects within the Australian context. But interestingly, what we also wanted to do was highlight projects of our near neighbours. We thought that was an interesting way of not just being so focused on our own continent, but actually broadening the conversation, which seemed quite relevant. This year's theme was how will we live together? And you see when you go to the Biennale, often it's really about what one country does. So we actually thought a greater way of embracing the idea of humanity and who our neighbours were was inviting some of them in. So so we're looking at the Pacific region, obviously Micronesia, Polynesia, uh, Melanesia, and showcasing work from a lot of really much smaller islands and atolls and territories. So, so we got cracking and it was an incredibly um, collaborative process. Obviously, we're dealing with international contributors um, and collaborators and then many on our own soil, but in different states. So there was a lot of conversations with creatives, Indigenous creatives, Indigenous architects, writers, academics, um, and then the broader architectural community within Australia. So there was literally hundreds of people we were having contact with that were helping us bring this exhibition together. Um, and then obviously the um, COVID scenario occurred and it really started to change um, you know, the landscape and whether this exhibition was going to happen. Obviously, Italy was mm. hit pretty hard very early on. So we were advised, well, we were ultimately advised that they were going to postpone the Biennale and push it back to around August, September. Yeah, and I think there's still some question marks around whether even that will happen. I think that's, you know, really going to be upon us quite soon. You know, mm. even when we were aiming for May, uh, we were having to ship everything across, anything we needed to get over there, leaving from March time. Um, so there's really long lead times when you're doing an international exhibition yeah. and communicating with labourers and contractors 20,000 kilometres away. You really have to be, uh, I guess, organised and have all of that set up in advance because you've got to, I guess, factor in that things could go wrong or might not pan out the way you wanted. So, you know, we were gunning for March, April to, to be starting to get stuff set up and sent across and built and fabricated and installed. You know, once it got pushed back, they gave us a bit more time, which was maybe a, a bit of a, a blessing. But I guess then, you know, there's obviously question marks have remained about whether that's going to occur after all. Mm. I'm sure many of your listeners would be aware that ultimately the Institute's made the decision to probably not be part of the, the Biennale. But I think that's an ongoing conversation with La Biennale. I think there's a lot of unknowns. If it ends up that there's an ex exhibition that occurs, if they shift it to 2021, mm. um, I think we would engage with that conversation. But I, I think the feeling was if La Biennale was going to continue with the Biennale and have it so late in the year, it was really only allowing an exhibition that might run for a month or two at most. Mm. And it's quite a challenge, particularly being in Australia, to set up a really large exhibition and get that all across and maybe only be there for a few weeks. So I think the current feeling is that it could be hard this year, but, you know, that's ever-evolving and we're really continuing our kind of conversations with the Institute and La Biennale and trying to see how this all pans out. I guess the, the big takeaway is there's a lot of unknowns. We, we yeah. just don't know, and I don't, I don't know if Italy and La Biennale know what's going on. They're still really coming out of an incredibly challenging and tough time. Um, so we're kind of we're watching closely and monitoring 
Um, the Australian context is looking um, okay, I guess, pretty good, considering, yeah. you know, we were, we were able to um, get probably a better control of, of this pandemic. But yeah, as far as international exhibitions go, it's it's it's, uh, it's it's put a big question mark over it. So at the moment, we've got all this incredible content, and obviously we can't wait to show it uh, to everyone imminently. But it's kind of on hold at the moment. Yeah, I guess it's tricky, as you say. There's so many unknowns, so I don't know if you necessarily have an answer to this. But I think the content. Um, that you have hinted at and shared with it um, prior to this to kind of get people excited about it is very interesting and certainly that idea of our neighbours as well as, you know, our own, I guess, country as a family is very relevant to Habitus as well. That's what we've been doing for 10 years. It's it's very much about our community as a region, our our architecture and design community across Australia, New Zealand, Southeast Asia, like all of it as one and what's unique about this region. So I um, I think a lot of people are really hoping Hoping that in whatever way is possible, we're able to see this. Do you have any, I guess, contingencies if they go ahead with something later in this year, which means next year it'll be a different theme? Has the team thought about how maybe you can present it um, elsewhere or in, in another way? Yeah, look, the way that we had structured the exhibition was there were a, were a number of built aspects to it that were physical objects and pieces that were part of the exhibition and then a lot of the content was also really beautiful amalgamation of imagery and photos and models and information about the various projects that, that were ultimately nominated. We have so much of that content that's being assembled and put together with one of our creative collaborators called Mosta. Um, so there's an incredible piece of visual content that talks to these amazing projects that can be, in a way, put on a USB and presented or projected somewhere. So I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, there's, there's certainly ways that we can present this work and in, in a number of different formats. I think we've always been keen that we engage on the level that the exhibition for the Biennale was intended, which was a really powerful kind of immersive experience. But we'll see. You know, there's definitely formats that we're considering about how we could do it here or, or international, whatever format it takes Mm. It's interesting that um, this was a theme that we had conceived of prior to this whole pandemic uh, and it seems almost more relevant now than, well, it's just as relevant now as, as before. It really was focused around that aspect of humanity and of the history of people and how we work together and collaborate and, and a sense of humanity and the incredible stories and the richness of the stories of Indigenous communities that in the Australian context have been here for, you know, 67,000 years. So these ideas of um, understanding one's neighbours and the communities that we're we're all continually interacting with. It seems even more relevant now that we're going through this kind of this isolation, I guess, where we're all a bit more remote and having to live, talk, you know, socialise in a different way. I think it's definitely comforting for all of us to know that this will be shared and it's not so much a question of if but when. So that's definitely good to know. Um, yeah. I guess prior to COVID-19, what did your working arrangements look like and how have they changed if they've changed? Oh, it's been a huge change. Um, <laughs> you know, just quickly on some of the work we do, it's a real variety. It's everything from residential, single dwellings to multi-unit residential, work along railway and corridors, revitalisation projects, a lot of projects that exist within heritage contexts and they might be residential, they might be workplace, hospitality, hotel. So there's a real range of typologies that SJB work within. And yeah, look, I guess as architects, so much of what we do is very, um, it's very much about workshopping, sharing ideas, communicating, talking with clients, talking with builders, contractors, you know, authorities, councils, governments. Um, It's a really 
complex process. And all of what we do is about communication, whether we're doing a series of drawings to communicate an idea to a client or whether we're doing a series of technical drawings for a builder or whether we're doing renders or imagery or 3D models to, again, present ideas and, and understand what we're doing. It's all about communication. And so much of that communication was always done face-to-face -face with a client, showing them a model, showing them a sketch. You know, working live, I think, has always been a really big part of certainly our studio and I'm sure many or most studios do it. It's being with a client or being with a builder and physically next to them, sketching out ideas and workshopping ideas and resolving parts of the design and, and the building. So yeah, we're really used to a, a process of human contact, basically. We do a lot of design workshops in this studio, whether it be a small group or a large group gather around at, at these tables uh, we have in the studio and share ideas, sketch out things. Um, look at models that we've built or, or printed. So all of that's changed. It's now obviously everyone's working remote. We've got a team of around 30 odd people. So to get 30 plus people remote literally overnight was, was really quite a challenge. And a challenge, not just for the technical aspect. In fact, the technical aspect was probably the easier bit to deal with, albeit that I have to say, you know, I'm really impressed, I guess, with both our team and, and our IT department to be able to get us mobilized to be working remote so quickly. I mean, that that's a huge task. In architecture, you know, we're using really heavy software. Yeah, all the 3D stuff, Revit, CAD, BIM software, um, Rhino, SketchUp, all of these things aren't easy to start doing remotely. And a lot of the time, well, we have to have those files still located within the studio. You can't have people taking those files home. You can, but our preference is not to because otherwise people forget to copy them back onto the system and there's all these other challenges. So we've set up a team, a kind of virtual desktop and VPN, um, which has allowed basically every staff member to log in and they can see the interface of their desktop they normally have at work, but they're just doing it remotely. So that's been amazing, but it's been quite a challenge. You know, the bigger challenge of all of this is again that loss of human contact and being able to wander over to someone's desk and have a chat and a conversation you know do a sketch for groups of people to catch up at the design tables and work through and resolve aspects of, of their project that bit's gone it has been quite challenging to keep up that real sense of connectedness um but we're getting through you know zoom teams, all of these things we've got that people are using have allowed us to keep communicating and keep workshopping ideas and sharing models, you know, virtually and whatnot. So we continue to keep working through it. But it's, it's you know, this has been unprecedented. We didn't have months or a year to adapt to this new work environment. This happened overnight, within days. It's, it's incredible. So, you know, for businesses like ours, like architects that have, to have spent the last four decades working in a particular way to suddenly put everyone remote, it's, it's really a challenge. But it's, I tell you, surprisingly, it's been working quite well. And, and in fact, there's a lot of things that it's, it's revealed. There's probably processes that aren't always as efficient as they could be. You know, often we'll have consultant meetings where you might have 10, 15, 20 people come into the studio and they're long conversations and maybe they... They kind of drift off and take different tangents. Now we've found the meetings that we're doing via Teams and Zoom are really focused and are probably in some ways more effective. And the same for site, you know, for our builders. We're often called to site, depending on where that site can be. It can be a long journey. You get down there, you might find that it could have been something you could answer over the phone or in a quick sketch. Uh, and, and now we don't always have that option or don't really have that option to be visiting site, those projects that are under construction. So it is, again, done by phone calls, Zoom, Teams, and we're finding that as well is kind of resolving some of the issues on site in a, in a different 
way. And again, it's not the human to human way, but it's just as effective, maybe even more so in some respects. Hmm. And you mentioned, I guess, not being in the office, you don't have that opportunity to walk over to someone and float an idea or turn around and brainstorm something. What have your methods been in keeping up with creativity? <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a, it's been a challenge. You know, for all of the staff, the ability to still kind of have a setup, even if it's a small space in your home and do some sketching and think about some ideas and share them, we can still do that. And for myself, doing a lot of drawing and sketching daily, it's become a bit harder to kind of share those ideas and, and communicate it. But again, you know, there is the technology there to do it. So we're getting by. Yeah, there's also a part of, I guess, that as creatives, you're always loving to see and hear about new work, new projects. And I know that certain projects now aren't getting photographed. And so there's less content that's being shared on different platforms and on blogs and on Instagram and on different websites. But at the same time, now there's a lot more webinars, interviews like this. We are hearing of really and dialing into really interesting conversations and people sharing their projects online. So that's great. That's great to get that sort of creative inspiration too. Mm. But yeah, look, I think we still continue there's a lot of stuff that we continue to do the same way I think it's just that ability to do you know in person that's changed the most dramatically you mentioned that you're able to talk through things with builders and contractors you know video conferencing is, is quite helpful there is it the same when you need to chat to your clients and have more uh, progression meetings yeah, look, I've actually found the working from home and that kind of remoteness in quotation marks has meant in some ways I've had a lot more contact with a number of clients in a really good way. And it's it's opened up these other much more personal aspects of these working relationships. You know, there's now a number of clients where you sort of, you know more about them. You dial in and, and you might have the video on and you see the context that they're, they're sitting in, almost spying into their, their home and their world a bit. But it's, it's actually been really, really nice getting to know not just clients, but colleagues as well and other collaborators a bit better and there's a sort of you know there's a humorous friendly aspect to that where I think you know you sometimes dial in and people go oh where are you oh you're just in the garden oh that looks nice mm. where are you oh yeah I'm in my studio upstairs you we've actually got a little glimpse into people's lives in, in, a, in a good way not in a overly uh inquisitive way but I think it's it's actually we've all been able to reflect on something that's affecting everyone this isn't just sort of you know a particular part of Melbourne or, or Sydney or Australia has been affected it's the entire continent it's the entire country so you know I think there is a little bit of humor that's been enjoyed in working with clients and other builders and collaborators where you get to share a bit more about yourself uh, but you're still getting the work done and doing it in a way where there's a different kind of friendship I feel that's actually developed in a, in a really positive way in a really positive way I've had a number of clients comment that uh, oh, I feel like I know you better now and it's, it's been quite warming and yeah. hasn't taken away from the fact that we have deadlines to get done from them or any of that. I think it's just actually allowed, funnily enough, another a glimpse and, and understanding about who the people are that we work with, which was great. That's that's kind of what this whole profession is about, you know, mm. relating to the people you're working with. And if you know a bit more about them, and I think that's just a good thing. Yeah, I think it's definitely very humanizing to see our colleagues and our collaborators and people we work with and for and alongside in their personal environments. It's almost, it kind of reminds me of that idea of when you, you email someone over the internet so much and then you finally meet them and you kind of have that like, oh, it's actually really great to like meet you in person. It's almost like it's great to meet you again in this different level or in this different context. I guess kind of on that note, what are the lessons that you feel like you're learning for your own practice at SJB and, and what do you hope that the industry or the country as a whole will take away from this experience? 
We we set up um, so we went remote as, as probably most practices and and most professions did very early on, and we had to, and that was the recommendation. And for a lot of people, suddenly going remote and not coming into the studio has quite an impact on their lives. Like a lot of people really love that collegiate atmosphere and again that's something I touched on earlier like in our studio it's so much about the people and this great respect that we all have for one another it's a really flat studio we have there's not this sense of hierarchy and you know directors in their own offices and whatnot it's really everyone shares the same space it's really democratic and you talk to whoever you think is the right person to talk to, whether it be directors, associates, all the staff really just chat in a really respectful way without that sense of hierarchy. So that atmosphere for a lot of people, I guess, is gone. They're now working from home. Um, and we know that uh, a number of people have reached out saying, you know, they miss that. So many people in the studio are friends. They'll better lunch together. They'll go for a drink together on a Friday night. They might go to an exhibition. They have doggy days outside of work hours. So, so much of our staff, they're connected with their colleagues in a professional way, but also in a personal friendship. So that's been quite difficult for some. And I think it's really highlighted that staying connected is so, so key, however you do it. If you do video, if you just do a phone call, if you're, you know, obviously sending emails, whatever whatever the way is that you can feel that connection and not be too isolated, that's been really, really important. And to keep up that sort of creativity that, you know, you've talked about and, yeah, working together in a way that feels like we're not isolated. I think part of the human psyche is that we like to have people around us. You know, we've always been sort of a species that likes that contact and feeling connected and having the closeness of another. So we've actually got a studio coordinator now who checks in almost daily with nearly all the staff members, even just a phone call to say, hey, how are you going? And make sure people don't feel isolated because I think that's the hardest bit when people start to feel like they're not having contact with the outside world. For us, that's been it. It's keeping the contact and, you know, certainly video is really important for that too. Seeing your fellow colleagues smiling, seeing their expressions. If it's all done by email, you actually lose, you know, the old, the classic of when you send an email and the tone's lost and someone doesn't know if you're being sarcastic or serious or or whatever and there's a bit of a misunderstanding. I think people still love that ability to see someone's face and see the expression and those nuances we're now just accepting the part of that's done through video but that kind of aspect of our humanity really needs to remain and that's that's staying connected and trying to keep on collaborating and talking and communicating in whatever methods work i think that's a really nice point to end on the idea of we can still stay connected we're just doing so using different methods and that's just something that provides us different ways of staying connected definitely definitely yeah and, and look i have to say we're we're not a small studio and we're not a really large studio but we're a medium scale and to see 30 to 40 people basically go to working from home kind of pick up their things and and say to the rest of their friends and colleagues i'll see you when i see you it's been unbelievable and i'm i'm really not just proud but almost in awe of how so many people not just within our studio but across the country have had to go and work remotely and still get the job done um, or whatever, you know, whatever work or jobs or, or whatnot they're involved in. But for our studio, yeah, specifically, seeing everyone suddenly adapt overnight has been just amazing. And, and for a lot of our projects, they're still going, which has been really positive. Um, the studio has that to keep meeting deadlines, getting things done, staying creative, just as you say, in a, in a way that's slightly different. But we've got to keep up that contact that humans love. 
where make him do at the moment, but it's it's certainly different. I've actually found I'm doing a lot more. Oh, I've never walked so much in my life. So <laughs> walking around the gardens, it's, it's technically exercise, so I think I'm okay. But I've done I've never done so much walking in my life. But it's a great time to have some of the phone calls I need to get done as well. So maybe we'll all come out of this a lot fitter than we were beforehand. Yeah, <laughs> wonderful, Tristan. Thank you so much for your time today and for dialing in with Habitus. Thanks for having me. My name is Holly Kinneen, that was Dialing In with Habitus, and you can read more about architecture, design, and the creative community at habitusliving.com.au, or by following Habitus Living on Instagram. A link to both of those and more in the episode notes.